Hey everybody, I'm Matt Hill. I'm with Night Energy Services. Uh, this is our show, the Talking Energy Show, here at the Trace Management Podcast Studios. Thank you guys for uh, this space. We really appreciate it. Yep. Um, let's go around the room and introduce ourselves. Who do we have here? Jeremiah Smith with Mido Resources. Matt Little with Tag Drilling Motor Company. Joe Brevetti, Charter Oak Production Company. And uh, we really appreciate you guys both coming in and uh, being uh, Jeremiah's, uh, what, what do you say, victim? Yeah, and say that. <laughs> but now Joe is quite uh, humble because you, all your emails always say manager, even if you put a signature, but you're the, you're the jefe, right? No um, jefe. Officially manager and uh, mm -hmm. petroleum engineer and a mm -hmm. you know, little bit of everything, you know, refilling the Keurig, mm -hmm. yeah. whatever <laughs> it takes. Turn off the lights <laughs> at night. How, uh, how many people are there? <laughs> Uh, we have about 10 in the office, then plus the field guys. Mm -hmm. Are uh, are you guys opening back up to uh, let people uh, come in and have uh, meetings there, live and in person? Uh, pretty good question, because we never closed. Nice. Uh, we stayed open while everything else, we were essential. Uh, everybody, you know, came and showed up. And um, so we felt that, you know, we tried to be careful, you know, be safe, you mm -hmm. know, until everyone was vaccinated. And uh, uh, But no, we, we feel that, unlike the companies that feel that they can work remotely. Uh, we think that collaboration is really, really important mm -hmm. and being face to face and across the table and whether it's uh, land or a financial or geological aspect or an engineering aspect, uh, we can just sit down and my, my son and I share the engineering duties. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, we're, we, we operate about 200 some odd wells in Oklahoma and Texas. Mm -hmm. Where'd you uh, go to school uh, for engineering? I uh, got my first degree in physics from uh, RPI, Rensselaer in Troy, New York. My wife and I are both originally from Connecticut, and uh, I wanted to get out of the Northeast. And so um, I knew a guy that was recruiting for Schlumberger in, um, uh, at RPI, which was in Troy, New York, uh, basically a science and engineering school. And uh, he said, well, we don't have any openings in the Northeast. He was the division engineer there in Ohio. Uh, at the time, I think it was out of Worcester, which, you know, of course, different different scenario today up there with the Utica. And uh, he said, we have openings in South Texas. And I said, that's for me. I, mm -hmm. I, I'd seen a, a movie about the oil patch, and I just wow. thought it was fascinating, you know? Never any experience with no. family in the oil field at all? No, no, no. My, my family had all been immigrants from Italy, and they farmed and then went to work in factories. My dad was a machinist, and, you know, my mom a homemaker. So there was virtually none of us that had went to college at all. So this was kind of a, a first. But... I just thought that this was like my grandfather coming across, you know, from Italy to, you know, the U.S. Well, you know, going to Texas was a big thing. So I started with Schlumberger in uh, Pleasanton in South Texas. Did you and, run to the store and grab the boots and the hat and thinking you needed all that stuff when you got down uh, there? Eventually, yeah. yeah. Eventually, you got to have the boots <laughs> and the hat if you're going to fit in in South Texas. Mm -hmm. and, and back then, this is mid-70s. Back then, there were people who carried, you know, sidearms on them oh, still. Yeah. And it now was, we're back, baby. It was a it was a different oil patch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Things the safety guys would not approve of today, you know, uh, out there. Right, everyone had a pocket knife, uh, probably a bottle of whiskey in their car too. So you yeah. know, this is so strange talking about this today. But you'd have company men out in the rig that would be upset if you didn't have beer in the water cooler. Mm -hmm. So when they and, you know, when they went out, cause I started as a logging engineer. So and then. Um, Went from, you know, there to big city in Houston, worked, uh, start, then got into managing districts, worked in South Louisiana, worked in the Rockies, and then eventually made it here and left in 2004. But along the way, Schlumberger did pay for me to get a, um, a graduate degree in petroleum engineering, and that's from OU. So how many years were you at Schlumberger? About 29. 29 Yeah, years. I left in 04. Every basin? 
at some point just about well yeah because i worked in i didn't necessarily physically work in every basin but like i worked in devin's office on a contract and they were really really active in the permian and had a client uh, in california um, in houston that was really active in california so kind of got a good feel of a lot of the u.s basins and even uh looked at some of the stuff overseas i mean it's phenomenal the reserves and the production that's there but even that's getting tapped out now Really? Is all the low-hanging fruit pretty much gone? I think there's, uh, you know, the super giant fields. There's one in Saudi Arabia, and they've sure looked for some others. Mm-hmm. Now, so, have they really broken into horizontal drilling too much over there? They have. They are? So they they're have, not. They have in the Saudis have. Okay. And they've had water injection and, and you know, pressure maintenance, ESPs. So they, the, the reservoirs are all getting starting to become a bit more depleted. They're, they're mature. Mm-hmm. They're mature. Uh, when I was at Slumberger, I had the opportunity to, you know, work with training some Russians on a program at OU. And uh, they uh, pretty much, I don't think with Russia, there's, um, I don't think there's much slop. In other words, I think what they produce is what they've got. So if they're making 10, 11 million barrels a day today, I've got a feeling that's about all they're going to be Really? Able to that's do. a, it's, I believe you can fit two land, or two and a half land masses of the United States into Russia's mm. territory. Oh, yeah. yeah. Have yeah. they really done seismic and learned about everything that's up there? Siberia and all, all that? I, I don't know about 3D, but I do know they had a lot of 2D because mm-hmm. they would have these, uh, they, they would have these fields that were, you know, 20 miles apart and they, they'd show you 2D lines and say, well, we think that, you know, we're making oil here and oil there, so it's all connected. Mm-hmm. We, we know that here is not the case. So. Right. Um, a lot of natural gas overseas. Mm-hmm. I've seen some logs off the west coast of Africa with 300 feet of gas pay that would be like 30% porosity. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can imagine how many, you know, hundreds of TCF of gas that would be did you see the the pipelines going in from russia to germany and there's a bunch of hoopla about why it's uh, russia withheld for a while so there was a shortage and it got really expensive to buy gas over there and then so they pushed this forward to get the pipeline done now there's a question of was this all geopolitical and how it went forward of course it was yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was there any doubt yeah yeah so what will we do about it probably nothing they need how many, gas how many uh how many people uh, we're working at Schlumberger back then when you started. Do you think is it was it just the mega oh, company that it was? Yeah, um, already. You know, the exact number was thousands yeah. and, and probably over ten thousand. Uh, I know wow. they were for two three years in a row back at that point in the late seventies early eighties. Schlumberger was hiring two to three percent of the graduating engineers in the U.S. So all of us were helping recruiting. You know, and it was uh, it was just a massive effort. Mm-hmm to recruit uh, people you know it wasn't obviously the best of conditions you know the hours you worked and the distances you drove or you know offshore you were you know flying in helicopters and mm-hmm. and crew boats so uh, you know certainly different than today where now all the big companies are trying to get out of the u.s or maybe even out of, out of hydrocarbons yeah all together <laughs> you know? heck you saw that about shell they're gonna sell their what west texas field now because uh, they're getting in trouble from the netherlands for not cutting their emissions quick enough uh, mm-hmm. xt exxon are they gonna do some exit i know bhp is yeah bhp is mm-hmm. working on a deal from what we hear because yeah. of course we all know about bp and there was i don't know if you guys saw this article along those lines um fairly recently about a bp field that was sold in alaska to a smaller company and you know the greenies are all upset because bp says hey we've divested of this you know dirty evil field but the guys that came in they got a bunch of wells online and they got production up and they're making more oil so now it has a higher carbon footprint because the smaller company is able to operate more efficiently Mm -hmm. so that's this is what's going to happen you know somebody like a devon will buy 
say, Shell or a part of Shell's position, they're going to be more efficient mm -hmm. and, and make more oil. Oh, we would love Devin to buy just about everything up, <laughs> take care of it right here in Oklahoma. Well, Devin and Continental, right? They're probably going to they have it all. Have. Yeah. What we're about Chesapeake? What happens with them? They're buying up the Haynesville. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again. They're, they're still staying with gas. <laughs> Go back there. <laughs> Rebuying. Rebuying. So Matt joins us, and uh, do give us a uh, uh, backstory about you. Uh, Corey Nunez, his partner in his new endeavor, came on. He was our second guest. And we had a blast with him. So I hope we have a blast with him too. Man. Yeah, uh, the <laughs> bar is up here. The bar is way yeah. up there. <laughs> He's got quite the story. So yeah. I, I did you meet him in college? That. Right? No, we were there at the same time, but uh, for it was too short cool. Period of time, but yeah, he, <laughs> different he was on clicks. A different path. Yeah, yeah. I went the more traditional. I was more traditional student. Um, went to school mines right after high school. Um, did petroleum engineering, then moved to Oklahoma City for my first job as a production engineer with Lynn Energy. Um, did that for couple years uh, managing uh, some very mature water floods in northeast Oklahoma and then switched over to the drilling side and uh, transitioned to Rhone Resources where I did drilling there and then back to production as that was winding down and mm -hmm. went to the service side and uh, here Corey and I are kind of doing our own thing right now so it's been fun. Yeah. Tag motors. Yeah, they actually, Tag we, we gr uh, gratuitously accept any gifts from anyone. Yeah. Uh, anybody that wants to bring us gifts into the yeah. studio, they're more than wanted and welcome. Mm -hmm. We'll it find a place for them. Whiskey's fine too, yeah. everybody. Yeah, we'll give a shout out for that. So the big reason we wanted to kind of get over here, and this is, works out pretty well because Matt's early 30s. Joe, I'm not certain about. but <laughs> Maybe it, double that. <laughs> I'm also still yeah, 29. We, got, oh my gosh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> we've got one of every decade. Yeah, we really do. Well, nice. I graduated in 2014 in May and then started work in June. Right, right at the peak of oil, hundred something dollars, right? Yep. Yeah. So is that uh, what drew oil, you into oil and gas? Like everybody was talking about immediately when you got to school? Um, no, I've, I've got some family history in the industry. And so that's what I knew I wanted to do engineering, but um, just uh, my grandfather was a geologist for Gulf oil. Um, my dad worked for Chevron for 35 years and um, my uncle works in the business too. Um, so I, I knew I wanted to do engineering and uh, family always talked about how great the industry was as a community. And so that's what ultimately led me to start down that path. Um, really did enjoy the the work as I got to learn more about it. Um, but yeah, really happy with my decision. But well, yeah, when I first started, uh, that was that was great times. It was $80 to $100 a barrel, whatever. I was working water floods with half a percent oil cut. I think we moved like... <laughs> With all the water floods, I was watching something like 600,000 barrels of water a day and just a few thousand barrels of oil. That is incredible. So it was a bunch of high-rate ESPs, and, um, and it was all shallow, um, high-rate sucker rod pumping. Um, and we were spending, I mean, gosh, just looking at it now, the money we were spending to get a barrel or two a day of uplift was just insane to to put that in today's perspective is no one would do pretty it, wild. Do no, today. yeah, not at all. Well, Most of those wells, honestly, you know, if you looked at it today, probably don't make money. So mm -hmm. it's that. I mean, do you guys see if it gets back to a hundred dollar oil? You think they go back down to that and chase that half percent water cut kind of stuff? I mean, it, it's great flat production. Mm -hmm. So it's it's been producing you know a well today that's producing five barrels of oil and five hundred barrels of water uh, was was doing the same basically the same thing ten years ago. So you can kind of count on it as long as you, uh, it's all about uh, basically your failure rate, um, producing your well as long as possible before putting that pulling unit on it. Mm -hmm. and so that, that was the game there, a lot of optimization and, and whatnot. A lot of old old lines to fix, uh, 
uh, yeah, maintenance nightmare, but yeah. you can make money off of it for sure. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, people are doing it, just uh, more efficient, smaller guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So were you going in the Arbuckle? Uh, no, no, no. So no you get hit in that, caught in that seismicity issue? Well, so there was one, probably my most southern field, uh, we had one uh, disposal well that was drilled to the Arbuckle, um, and it was kind of close to Stillwater. Um, we, uh, it was drilled, yeah, into the basement formation, and basically what we had to do is plug it off above that, like 500 feet or something, um, and uh, we, we did that, and, you know, that, that was that. Mm-hmm. There's really, there's no, it, it was a low-pressure injection well. There wasn't a whole lot of work we had to do, but just make sure we weren't injecting into that, that basement formation. Yeah. yeah, that's still concerning. Have you guys been following? I'm sure you have, Joe, because you listen to Chuck Yates quite a bit. Yeah, we're Ashley all about Watts. Uh, her story about West Texas, that old Exxon field that started having a, a purge. You know, I have not listened to that podcast yet. I it's saw that. It's amazing. It's I, met, I met both engineers from that podcast, too, mm-hmm. last week at NAEP. Uh, oh, really? Oh, yeah. And he, you know, he, he got to tell me that whole uh, podcast story again. So Yeah. Yeah, I, I think he's anybody had Anybody watching, please uh, get on Chuck Yates Needs a Job podcast and listen to all that stuff that's going on out there. It's, it's very interesting. It is. I won't ruin it then. It's a, yeah. Check yeah. It plan, plan to listen to it. My drive's up to the well we're drilling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if you look at the earthquakes, which um, I do follow, I'm sure a lot of we people have here do. Yeah. yeah, if you look at the earthquakes, they're starting up now yep. in West Texas, just yeah. like we had. Mm-hmm. If they don't so, get on that, they're going to have the same so regulations that we do. Like, Why were oh. we first? Why'd that hit us first? Or, or were we a little bit more friendly with the... Uh, I think in Oklahoma things move fa- things can move faster here. Why? More, more water too. Um, well, yeah. uh, you know, d- just drilling and stuff can move moves a lot faster here. Everything seems to have a pretty quick pace compared to other areas. Well, we don't have federal leases. We don't have uh, like the Rockies, and then of course West Texas. You've got Texas leases, which are almost as onerous as a federal lease. So, um, you know, you you pretty much have a price set what you're going to pay the surface owner. So mm-hmm. it's you know, I, I think there was probably. Some restraint initially, but now they're just getting so much water in there. Maybe so. Yeah. Shouldn't we be the the most attractive state for uh, coming to drill again? I if, hope so. Maybe if there there's a little more pressure and a little, a little bit. more hydrogen. <laughs> yeah, a little yeah. Bit we need a little bit more. I've oil unfortunately been saying this for years, yeah. but Oklahoma makes a lot of water, a fair amount of gas, and a little bit of oil. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's been my experience. So. Sure, and, and I think with the earthquakes and whatnot, I think a, a lot of that that's unique to Oklahoma is the complexity of the geology here, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. faults and everything that you can you can uh be injecting in a zone that's five thousand feet deep that's contacting something way deeper and mm-hmm. and uh so i, I think that has a lot yeah. to do with definitely it. definitely in southern oklahoma for sure yeah southeast southeast northeast yeah. oh my gosh yeah well heck we've got friends down there right now that are drilling in uh, southern oklahoma they're having a heck of a time so yeah well the um the reason my, my humble opinion why the recount in oklahoma has not recovered yet like other places like the Texas areas are we um, our, our leases if you pool or leases they generally let you hold with that first well mm-hmm. so unless you have a scenario where you have like multiple zones where you you know you you got a well in the Woodford but now you need to go hold Sycamore say down in the scoop or, you know you, you don't need to drill those other wells or because you're holding it all in mm-hmm. West Texas my understanding is like you the Texas leases we've lease. had oh yeah they're continuous drill clauses usually 120 days so you got to keep drilling, or you're going to lose your rights to drill mm-hmm. further uh, leasehold. That's the Texas side. Now, New Mexico, that's a different issue right now with the with the permit, federal permit issues. Are they letting us uh, drill again in, on the federal lands? Because that whole thing with Biden was just incredible, right? I, I'm sure that's kind of beaten like a dead horse. The where he asked the OPEC Plus to produce more. 
Yeah. Yeah. For anybody that's not watching the news, oh my my gosh. Yeah. I I think a lot of that was more of a, 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 like a formality than anything. Most, most, what it did is probably hurt the smaller guys the most. Um, the, the bigger companies have years and years of permits approved. Mm -hmm. Um, the smaller guys who are maybe just getting started, um, are trying to file for permits, but can't. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I think it hurt those guys more than anything. And I don't think it was really apart from those people, which I don't want to say is insignificant. I think for the most part, it was kind of just a grandstanding type thing yeah. and it's passed now and everyone's still drilling the same. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, it's just, just to look a good for press uh, release yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah, I think there was maybe an initial fear that there was going to be uh, executive order doing mm-hmm. a immediate shutdown or of any federal land of, drilling, uh, yeah, any drilling, any drilling, any fra- fracking. Well, you don't even have to ban drilling. You can do like New York State did, right? They banned fracking. Yep. So you know, yeah, can't can't produce well if you do? can't frack it. So that was essentially like a drilling ban. Mm-hmm. Our industry is all over the map right now, and their opinions on drilling anyway. Like everybody's saying, "Hey, whoa!" I mean, Chuck Yates, he's like, "Stop drilling new wells now." Right well, now. yeah. Well, we're really good about that. Is when prices <laughs> go up, we fix that by drilling a ton of wells and bringing the prices back down. I don't know the middle ground on that, yeah. but I I, I'm laughing because I, I heard this analog for so many years about the farmer, right? That gets a better seed, better fertilizer than a bigger tractor, or you know, bigger equipment to be pulled by the bigger tractor. They make more of whatever you know, wheat, corn, Luckily, you name it, right? You got to feed the planet. Thank yeah. Goodness. So they, they, they make more, which yes, we have to feed the planet, but then the price of the commodities drop because they're so efficient at, right. at make, at growing food. Well, we get so efficient at producing oil and natural gas. So that is, kind of segues way <laughs> into the topic we haven't even touched, but it's uh, the great crew change. And I got a couple of statistics from you guys, and this is from an article I found on uh, the oil and gas journal from 2015. But these statistics, so 50% of the workforce is retiring in five to seven years. Well, it's relevant because we're now in that five to seven year period. Uh, the age, ages right now are 35 and below, or at the time of this article, and 55 and above. So you had that huge gap of about 20 years, which I've seen in most of my jobs, and especially at Trace Management. Most of our consultants are well over 60, and then we've got some guys that are in their 30s. But it's, it's a huge, huge gap. gap. Yeah, and then you got two to one uh, retiring. So two people retiring for every person that was coming into the industry. So those are the statistics, but at the same time, we've had technology kind of knowing the fact we just don't need as many people anymore. So it's kind of a, a blessing, I guess, in that way that we just don't need as many people to do such a good job. But there's been a ton of wisdom lost uh, with these people leaving. The brain drain. Yeah. And you got these companies relearning the same thing over and over again, you know? I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on that. You're one of those guys that can probably go and stand up on the rig floor and feel what's going on underneath your feet <laughs> from the rig, right? You know, of sorts. You yeah. know, after you've been been around enough rigs. Um, you know, this has gone on before. Because when I started, you know, there it was right after the air boil and barger, embargo was 73. Mm-hmm. So there was this massive amount of hiring because most of the people hired in the oil patch at that point in time were – uh, there was a there was a, a common common story. They went they went to World War II. They fought. They came out. Went to school on the GI Bill. Then they went to work for a major, and then transitioned to an independent or went out on their own. So you can see those guys all hitting the patch around late forties, early fifties. Well, you fast forward up to the embargo of seventy three, and oil prices that had been about a dollar to three dollars for a long time they they jump from three to nine to thirty mm-hmm. something. And there's a massive amount of hiring going on. And at a certain point, you had, um, it, it peaked about 80, 82. Okay. And then we started the decline in, in drilling rigs that went from then all the way to, I brought a couple of graphs, but I think you guys uh, seen the same charts that, you know, the, it kept declining until early 2000. 
in the end, right late 99, early 2000, there was a turnaround. So all of those guys who had started after, after World War II that were my mentors, they were all retiring out. They were gone. So there was already that, that crew change taking place, but it took place over a lot of years, you know, mm -hmm. 15, 16 years. Uh, things speed up. Things are sped up now. The, uh, Technology, communications. I mean, you know, the downturns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the booms. Another great example then was like when uh, Oxy was having their big layoffs in the '80s. They would announce that you know in 90 days we're going to have a layoff, Oof. and then you know, or but there but there'll be a program for you know early retirements mm -hmm. or a program for something else or whatever. So for 90 days, nothing happened. Obviously, you know, in the office, everybody there would shut down. Just gossip. Yeah, you'd go with us and shut down. But basically, uh, restructuring, you know, and, and, and riffing took place over periods of months and, and years. Today, it's like people walk into their office and they're just... Yeah. What, do you, what do you think about that? I mean, is it good for the stock of the company? Does it shoot it up? Does it shoot it down? Is it, I mean, you know, because there was, there was a back and forth here in Oklahoma City. We have one company just coming in and out, you know, just everybody is laid off that day. And then we have another company, the tower that's like, Hey, onesie, twosies. And everybody's the whole, they're like, and I had friends over there like, man, you just like hid out in your office open that you weren't there that day. So I don't know. I don't know what's, uh, what's the formula when companies have to shed a lot of people. The crazy it thing, it seems like they turn around and hire them back, you know, I hope so. six months later. Right. <laughs> well, there's no good formula no. for letting someone go. And when you hire somebody back, you know, you pay them a year or two to go and you're hiring them back or hiring someone else to replace them within mm -hmm. that time period. That was kind of a waste. But I think, you know, Matt, if you look at the stock uh, movements after um, reductions are announced, stocks tend to go up. So the sad part is that New York has not viewed people as an asset, but a liability. So they reward companies for getting rid of people and upper management and, and public companies know that. Mm -hmm. Sure, There's plenty of metrics for whatever production versus GNA, mm -hmm. whatever cash versus GNA, all that that everyone goes off of. And have you had to can, go through that and lay off quite a few people underneath you? When I was at Schlumberger, yeah, when things got, got really tough, that was the toughest part of being in management in the 80s, you know, to, to go from, you know, being in recruiting and trying to convince people to come to work, and then later you're out there hiring people. And one of the saddest times was I was registering a vehicle in Fort Morgan, Colorado, and uh, some woman was just really rude to me, at the, which is very unusual, you know. I mean, generally people in, these small, in small towns are very, very pleasant. And then finally I said, ma'am, is something wrong, you know? <laughs> Did I do or say something? And she goes, you don't know who I am? And I go, no. She goes, well, you let my husband go. Oh. And I'm like, man, I tell you, I am sorry. But, you know, I'm just like, you know, we had we went from, you know, eight wireline units to, you know, three. It's, you know, we tried to find places for people and people got moved to Alaska and some people went, you know, overseas or wherever there was, you know, work. But there just wasn't room for everybody. And, you know, unfortunately. Have you been able to hire... <clears throat> Uh, have you been able to bring on people and uh, now that things are booming a little bit more around here? Well, we never cut back a charter. Oak. We never had to. No. Um, you know, we've had, you know, a couple of people over the, we've been, we've been starting 04. So what would that be about 17 years now at Charter Oak? So we'd grown. And then when things did slow down, there was a couple of people who just chose to leave and, you know, get into something else. Um, but, uh, all during this slowdown, we just said, you know, we're going to bite the bullet, you know. And uh, like I said, we didn't close our office. Uh, we did, um, we shut down some wells that were not economic, but we basically went out real quick. Uh, my son and I had some ideas and we started uh, locking up frack tanks. So initially we were able to get them for free because the, the companies wanted the trucking back and forth. And then, of course, later we had, you know, you had to pay a few bucks a day, but we started stockpiling oil. 
last year during the pandemic. So oh, did you really? That was a gamble that worked out. Yeah, so, smart. But it allowed us to save, you know, allowed us to save our people. You know, um, we did get the PPP money. You know, and we just said, you know, everybody's going to keep working. No, you know, no layoffs, no salary cuts. Did you have to show it? So those two hundred wells that you guys have, did you have to turn any of them off at all? We had a few that say went down. Yeah. You know, if a pump went out, we said, you know. We no, can't afford to get a workover right rig and spend fifteen, you know, any more to change a pump and chase a tubing leak. It's really easy to spend fifteen, twenty thousand bucks. Yeah. So we're like, no, we're not going to go do that if we're selling oil for you know fifteen. We never got, we never got negative. You know, I know, <laughs> I know. DRW wants to talk about the negative I'd price, say, I, mean, but yeah, I think, think we got twelve, thirteen dollars yeah. one month, and the next month might have been you know nineteen or twenty-two or something. But mm-hmm. so there were some bad months. You just couldn't afford to fix a well. Yeah, I think we had we had three different operators in our office, and uh, Mido, the the company I run. Mm-hmm. It sold for the least amount. It was twelve dollars and fifteen cents. Twelve fifteen for the wow. month of May. That wow. hurt. That we, hurt. We, we had some wells we just couldn't shut down, or we mm-hmm. couldn't stockpile oil. You know, we had some wells that you know were still doing pretty well, and we just couldn't stockpile that that much oil. You know, if your wells are making you know fifty to hundred barrels a day. So, what about the liabilities? You weren't worried about uh, lightning strikes or anything like that, having all that oil sitting everywhere on locations. I've had people mention that to me, and the only times we've ever had lightning strike a tank, it was a water tank. For some reason. Light, like our horizontals have lightning arrestor systems mm-hmm. out there, but on the verticals, you know, you don't have that. The only times I've ever seen a lightning strike is on a fiberglass tank. Crazy the enough, light, me too. The lightning, yeah, the lightning uh, gets attracted to the static charge that builds up around that fiberglass, and particularly open top tanks, because mm-hmm. <laughs> there's always a skim of oil on top. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now I've had people ask me that, and I just never heard of a frack tank getting struck. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I had one pop uh, about a year and a half ago, and it was a fiberglass water. Fiberglass water, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, made a mess. Yeah. You have to go out right now and uh, catch back up on all those and uh, get them all fixed up now. We've been doing that now since um, oh, probably around late last year. I guess a concern with that and shutting them in, that 15 to 20, it's your, your working interest partners. you got to be worried about them paying their jibs, too. So it would be hard to, to do You know, that. fortunately, we have good participants, mm-hmm. most everybody that we put in there. But, you know, when you buy wells, mm-hmm. you inherit a lot of people that are deadbeats. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's no polite way to say it, you know. And they were they were really great about cashing their checks when the well was on its flush production. But oh, yeah. then, as you know, when they wells get down to being, you know, a couple barrels a day, you can make money if you wash your P's and Q's, but you don't yeah. sell oil every month. And I'll tell you, Joe does, and he doesn't gouge his partners. So his copus is very fair. Joe is by far. Well, thank you. Yeah, we, we've never done it. We've never done a copus increase. Really? So whatever we put that well in at, and I think the most expensive well on our overhead charges that we've got are some that we bought from some other companies, and we reduced the overhead. But I think, like in Texas, our most expensive wells might be seven thirty-five a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had one. We, we had some wells we bought in eastern Oklahoma, and they're flowing dry gas wells. And I won't mention the operator's name, but they were one of the companies that had went bankrupt. <laughs> so that, that doesn't that, even that narrow the list. That doesn't right really They were charging uh, twelve something a month just on their overhead, mm-hmm. plus you know pumpers, phone pumpers, vehicle pumpers, insurance. We just put these on remote monitoring. And they're dry flowing gas wells. Mm-hmm. You know, I think at the time center point was about forty five bucks a month. Put it on remote monitoring. We got a guy out there charges 50 bucks a month to go around and just drive around them every, you know, you know, once or twice a month and make sure that some farmer didn't you know, drive over the wellhead. But I acted working interest owners that called me up after that and going, this is unbelievable. You know, cause we dropped the overhead down to like, you know, 450, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they go, this, these wells are profitable now. So yeah, I mean, we have big pieces. We try to, we try to keep now we've been building more and more. We try to keep a fair piece of 
what we've got, you know, of our wealth. So you, so you but, did the work. Yeah. yeah. So we, we, we want to keep costs under control and we don't see the operations as a profit center. We don't want to lose money, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's uh, not always the case yeah. for sure. So compass increase has been friendly to a lot. I've got, yeah, yeah. I've seen some pretty r ridiculous numbers. Are you, uh, are you still, you know, reading your bio, you guys are going to drill, uh, sometimes two, three, four wells a year. You still have to do that to keep up production. Um, I think you do, Except but you got to look at, you got to look at, yeah, you got to look at what your cash flow is and the cash flow of our participants. So right now, you know, we're, um, developing a conventional play unconventionally with horizontal wells up in North central Oklahoma. Uh, it's the first Oswego, the big lime. And, um, so we're drilling right there now on that. And we've got a few more to do and then we'll, our plan is to unitize and try to go in with like a water injection mm -hmm. system to, for pressure maintenance. Because you think about it, we're horrible, right, at recovering oil. We get like, what, you know, 10, 10 15, we think 20% is great. We're leaving 80, 90% in the ground. So, you know, kind of like back to what you were doing. Yeah, it's the same formation <laughs> with, in a lot of floods. Yeah, with Lynn. So, yeah, yeah, go back in and, and start pressure maintaining and basically start water flooding, but with a horizontal, you know, start just doing it with a downhole packer. Yeah. See, that's why I'm not worried about running out of oil and running out of gas in these mature basins, you know, all over the world. We talk about, you know, like, hey, these are these are mature basins, but we've never scraped the surface of actually getting out the hydrocarbons that we could in the future with the technology. Well, that's the cost to extract that last bit. For then, now. Right? Well, For now. yeah, like your water floods that you, you talked about, Matt. I mean, yeah, that wasn't cheap oil. No, not, you know, not when you're running ESPs and either disposals or supply wells. But, oh, yeah. Yeah. Big H pumps. Yeah. That's... Oh yeah, yeah. Went so, from sixty dollars a barrel lifting cost, and we brought it down to in the forties or something. But still, was, I was curious what your mm -hmm. per barrel cost was because mm -hmm. a lot of it was those old Lamamco floods. I yep. think that Lynn yep. bought. Yeah. Yep. Well, yeah, what's yeah. the what's the after the crew change? What's the next uh, technology that's going to bring up more hydrocarbons? You know, Tell what do you something. what do you see in in the future? Inverter or something like that, where micro mesh or I don't know what is it. How do we get more out of there? Yeah, people bring you technology like, hey, by the way, all your wells, you know, we could go back in and uh, bring up more hydrocarbons for you see anything actually i don't see as Nothing much yet. of that not yet no no um what about refracting I, I wish i could remember i read an article but it's been probably a year about some super super new thing that was gonna you can go back and refract these wells and pull a bunch out nothing yeah everybody's got their refract stories you mm -hmm. know and i think probably one of the better ones is uh a, a public company that was in a major play and they went in of course and refract their oldest wells that were horribly treated you know a lot of them were you know you know I, I want to say like maybe open hole packers type completions or, you know, a mile lateral that had five or six stages only. And then you go back in and put modern fracks, you know, with, you know, with stages and, and clusters in between and lots of sand. I mean, they, they did things and the wells popped up. Mm -hmm. So then they're like, hey, let's go refrack all of our wells, you know, and the newer wells just didn't respond. Mm -hmm. So that, so. you know, something like that. And that's what kind of, you know, you talk about private equity, it came into the industry, what, 12 or something like that. And they would open up the, uh, the spigot right away, you know, the choke, they would open it all the way up and they say that's bad for the longevity of the reservoir. So is there something like that? You can go back into those wells or are they pretty much torn up? Do you guys buy into that? No, there's, there's wells out there, don't you think? Yeah, uh, there probably are. It depends on the drive, the reservoir drive that's, mm -hmm. uh, pushing that the hydrocarbons to surface. Um, as soon as you lose pressure and your gas, you leave a lot of immobile oil in the formation. Or if you uh, bring bring in too much water to the well, you'll you'll trap a lot of oil in the ground, and uh, the 
I mean, it just becomes really expensive to produce at that point, and a refrack or whatever probably won't help you too much. It's yeah. Matt, less, when less are you going to start behind. your own oil company? How, how did you go from Schlumberger <laughs> to starting your that, oil yeah. company? Just, well, I left in 04, and I started mm-hmm. consulting. Mm-hmm. Right. I wanted to start putting, you know, Because you got together. your degree. I was so busy. Yeah, I, yeah, I got my uh, PE degree in 1990, so they, my, my two degrees weren't even in adjacent. Did you just jump back. ship the second you <laughs> Yeah, they weren't. No, oh, no, no. That was like, I left at 04. Oh, okay. So, like I said, my two degrees weren't even in adjacent decades, and then I was with Schlumberger another, you know, 14 years after that. Um, the um, I started consulting, and there was so much work in 04. I finally one day made a decision. I says, I'm not going to do any more consulting. I was everywhere. I was out on, you know, deals from New Mexico to Kansas and Louisiana and Texas and mm-hmm. Oklahoma and, um, and office stuff, doing a lot of building completion procedures. Um, and I said, you know, finally, I'm just not going to consult. There's too much of a chance of a conflict of interest. And I knew a lot of d- geologists. And so I bought a deal in from the outside. And I told this story at, uh, before at, uh, at some uh, talks that I, I, I'm a pilot. I had an airplane. It was paid for. And I had a credit line on it. And uh, I bore it on my credit line on my plane to get the money to buy the acreage from this geologist and landman. And we drilled a, uh, a structure that this geologist had mapped in Major County. And if you can believe this, it was a dry hole. Oh. We probably, oh. I tried to convince him to run pipe on the Oswego. And that would have been a great, great deal. And of course, then the acreage later would have been worth a lot of money to go back in for, you know, Mississippi and Merrimack. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, not the... Uh, um, the group of people in that wells were wildcatters, and they didn't want a, you know, a we, marginal. You know, ga- they didn't want a marginal gas well. We tried, and now we're on to the next one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They 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 were looking for a big structure down, you know, in bromide, you know, et cetera. So that's Sorry about we took it all the way to the Arbuckle. So that was the first well as a dry hole, and uh, had a couple of other deals that I, you know, took in, and, and they were kind of, you know, mediocre wells. But then we bought two wells. One was in Carter County, one was in McLean County, and they, for uphole zones that I saw behind pipe on the logs, and completed those, and those both became field discoveries. And, um, you know, later ended up with, you know, I think in McLean County, we had 70-something, almost 80 wells, and the, uh, and then in um, Carter County, 30-something wells, but along the way, we got, we got in the way of some of the big boys, so we started selling things off, and we did probably a half a dozen eight sales to Chesapeake, and then we did several sales to Continental, and um, then one large sale to BP mm-hmm. um, down there in the in the scoop. Got that one back, huh? We got a portion of that back. Yeah, yeah. we sold them a hundred sections, and we've got about forty of it back mm-hmm. now. So yeah. What's that decision where you're like, man, I, I think I do want to go ahead and sell this. The money from them, like, okay, I can't turn that down. Uh, we felt we had some good rock, but we we didn't have the access to the capital to develop it. Okay. And I went and talked to uh, quite a few of the private equity companies, including Chuck Yates' mm-hmm. guys. Now, matter of fact, I called Chuck just blind out of a um, ad he had in the Oil and Gas Journal. Oh, I would have loved to see that ad. A picture. Oh, a picture of him standing up by his, you know, Probably five thousand dollar desk yeah. there. Did he have his? Did he, did he have his hoodie on? Mm-hmm. No, no, no. This is back when he was really respectably dressed. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! Hey, uh, I think respectably I had dressed. That's, that's Chuck, uh, Chuck. But I told allegedly. Chuck, I told. I reminded Chuck of this story when I saw him back up here in the city, at, yeah. you know, at the Petroleum Alliance, and I'm like, Chuck, I left a message, for secretary, and I was, I'm just almost like amazed. He calls me right back, you know, mm-hmm. and says, Yeah, we'd like to look at it, you know, but well, and uh, he goes, when are you going to be down in Houston? I go, we down there next week. And I missed you twice, by the way. Yeah. Both times I had a chance to grab you, you had walked over to Papa Do's to grab some food. 
And oh, was, Nape, yeah. Yeah, it was yeah, right yeah, there yeah, at Nape. Yeah. And I was like, man, but uh, you were yeah. with uh, uh, our friend uh, Jessica Dollis. She's uh, doing business development for You know uh, Jessica. Yeah. She's the niece of our, our former accountant and, and good friend and one of our participants. Yeah. So I apologize for missing you, but both times I was like, I am not going to interrupt his I lunch. didn't realize she was I'll, working I'll, for I'll you. She, she handed me not a... Not for me, for uh, Blue Bison Analytics. That's it. They're doing that's a, a, a mineral evaluation software. Pretty oh, cool. Oh, okay. You should take okay. a look yeah, at she, she she. Uh, she handed me her card, yeah. So I'll tell you, I've always said Matt is the most well-connected, and he's the face of an oil field in Oklahoma, but now he's branching out into Texas, just trying to take over the whole darn thing. I mean, also, I'm going to Wyoming next week, so shout-out to uh, Social Octane and the Energy Exposition up, exposition up there. I'm going to go up and do that whole uh, correspondent for the Crude Life thing. Oh, again. yeah. Yeah, Matt is gracing us here. He's now a correspondent for Crude Life, so whatever the heck that is. So good uh, to you. Something we just, you know, that sounded, it sounded really good in it my did, ears. Man. It you want to come with me to Wyoming? That'd be fun. There you go. See, we got Meet a road trip. People. Have you put any motors up in Wyoming yet? <laughs> Not yet. Nope. Yeah. Just uh, Oklahoma, Texas, and New Mexico. Oh. Well, I've got a question for Matt. I'm kind of curious since, you know, I would moved from the service side to the Ace operator side. What prompted you to go to the service side? Uh, I, I guess uh, timing was, was a big part of it, and the, that was, see, so moved from the operator side to the server side in the fall of 2019, and largely because it seemed like a job at Roan wasn't going to be around much longer, uh, and, uh, and had an opportunity uh, to work with a directional company, and um, Corey and I left together and, and did that, and we enjoyed it, uh, learned a lot, and um, Oh, it's, it's definitely different. It's a change of pace um, day to day. It doesn't, well, before, like in a typical position with a service company, it doesn't seem like you're as scheduled and uh, as you would be with an operator. You don't have, it seems like as many meetings and, and whatnot. You're, it's because you no one work. picks up the phone anymore. Right. It's, <laughs> it's uh, learned that uh, every time sales, I call an email, I'm like, where did my calls and emails go? The <laughs> ether. <laughs> right. Yeah. Learned that sales was extremely difficult. Um, You're welcome. It's, it, it's I, I applaud all the sales men and women out there. That, we just like taking a beating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I appreciate you. You were always uh, gracious enough to pick up the phone and uh, tell me no in person. But also he'd let, he'd let me buy him lunch at least. <laughs> no, won't turn that down. <laughs> no. uh, but yeah, it just, uh, I don't know. I guess it was a function of the, the job market here and, and what was going on in the industry and uh, the opportunities that were present at the time. And I, Feel pretty happy. I mean, I so Matt, tell them what you do. I don't know if uh, it's tag drilling motors. Uh, yeah, they've they've got their own motors. Yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, we uh, mm -hmm. assemble uh, motor and service motors here in Oklahoma City. Um, there's three of us. Uh, we, we work hard to keep our costs low, so we can try to keep costs low to the operators. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, Corey and I are out there in the shop every day, building and ripping motors and uh, helping our shop manager out and. Uh, also doing the sales and accounting and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's very we, busy. Uh, we, we needed some capital investment into that company. <laughs> yeah. don't, don't you guys need like that big, like million dollar machine that like tests your motors too? That'd be cool. Uh, we'd, we'd have to find a way to make there's money. There's none in Oklahoma, right? That, that, uh, tests, no, there's you know, not. No, just we, one in uh, Permian. Yeah, it seems like yeah, they're all most in Midland. Yeah. That's where uh, we send our motors to get tested. Oh, and and you don't have like an ohmmeter and you yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> spin it by hand? No, no, no nothing <laughs> like that. Uh, be hard to turn a 500 horsepower motor by hand. Yeah, if you can turn uh, by hand, that's a bad day. I've actually turned a couple by hand, but they were coming out of the ground. Yeah, they're probably yeah, yeah. broken or worn wow. out. Yeah, yeah, broken yeah. drive lines. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Anything yeah, new in happens. the uh, technology for motors you're seeing coming your way? Um, I mean, there's surely some we haven't we haven't hit peak efficiency with these. Things when do we yet? get no, starts not. with lasers I mean, on the end the, of the? Yeah, where's our lasers? <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't know. They were doing some research at mines about drilling with lasers when I was there, but I, yes. I don't know if it was so any, uh, any anything economically feasible or practical. But, you know, it's cool to research it, and maybe it will be one day. But, no, I'd say that the limiting factor to motors these days is uh, the longest your power section can be from the manufacturers is basically 300 inches. Mm -hmm. And so until we get uh, – I mean, all the designs are pretty much optimized, and the – lobes and stages and whatnot but you can only fit so much in a 300 inch tube so i think until that gets longer you won't have more power at the bit really unless there's some crazy rubber or seeing some metal stators i don't know how that actually works whatever but happened to the even wall that was a big deal for yeah it's, it's still around um a lot of companies offer that and um, there's some new companies starting to offer that as well and um, you can definitely versus a conventional power section of the same length um, because you have more metal and less rubber mm -hmm. uh it, it can be tr you know create more power essentially um mm -hmm. so yeah that, that's that'd be a place to go is longer even walled motors because most even wall motors are are shorter than your long conventional power sections a lot of that has to do with uh, when you reline it the injection pressure it takes to to get across um the power section so you're trying to inject a bunch of rubber through, you know, something like that and over 300 inches and it has to be, I mean, it's super high pressure. Um, companies will put relief ports in the stator tube to bleed off some of that pressure. Mm. But uh, the idea of having a bunch of holes in your stator tube that, yeah, uh, you know, it's not not something that you really love to think about. But, you know, I think it's, it, it can be done. But, mm -hmm. yeah, that'd be a place to grow. So I've got a question for you, Matt. Why do you, does everybody charge more for oil-based muds than freshwater muds on a motor sure that's a good question and, and all the non-engineers watching this podcast are totally bored you know with us engineers i'm a non-engineer and i'm fascinated by all this so thank you for nerding out with this and giving us engineering porn uh, engineering porn well it has to do with the reaction of oil-based products uh, to the rubbers in the stator tubes yeah. and so they'll they'll swell um and you just can't after you run it in oil base, it reacts and it's it's kind of done with. There, I mean, you you could argue that maybe some you could rerun or not, but um, no one wants to risk a, a bad trip or, or a wasted trip or something like that. So, it's uh, from an economical perspective, it's easier just to say. Yeah, you know, what is the reline? Like five one. grand, six grand? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Depending on the size, it can it's be up, range, up yeah. above. And you got a eleven thousand. Too. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big, uh, a twelve-hour trip, you know, one way. So twenty-four hours to get back on the bottom or something like that. Yeah. Save eight grand. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, you, you, you don't want to risk a trip. You wouldn't want to risk a trip. No. no. So, will you rerun a motor like uh, no. on the same well? No. no. Do you come no, out for WD after a hundred hours or fifty hours? Yeah, well, it depends on the area. We've used a hundred hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes if things are going okay, you might push it a little bit. You know, mm -hmm. as long as you don't have a catastrophic failure where things just tear apart yeah you have, have you guys tried any of the uh, remote directional drilling on any of your drilling yet we have not tried that but everything what today do you think about it uh, i think that's what's going to go basically one mwd hand left what, out there and everybody one else well hand I, one I think you'll have one person out I, yeah. I think where everything is going to go and i've had you know conventional driller guys think i'm crazy but i think where it's all going to go is you can have like you say one guy out there kind of like you know when bits came out they had a, guy, a bit guy was at the location the, you know, full time when really Tricos that. came out back in the 
with that late 40s, you mm-hmm. know, Hughes had them. Mm-hmm. And uh, at least that's what the old timers told me. I wasn't that, I wasn't that, I wasn't there then, but that's what they told me. Was he like sharpening the bits with a file? <laughs> I think they made, they made so many trips. Yeah. You know, you you drill such a short distance and make a trip that they wanted somebody there all the time. I think what's going to happen, okay, that one guy's going to be there. You're going to have guys in a room with screens, kind of like with ESPs, you know, overseas, at least not here maybe, but overseas where they're watching all the performance. or like frack jobs, you know, the guys that mm-hmm. run frack jobs. And um, everything's going to be rotary steerable. So I think it'll go to a rotary steerable with the motor, and everything will be uh, steered remotely. And the guy out there may not even be out there full time. He may yeah. be there, you know, I mean, if a trip takes, you know, I don't know, eight hours, they may call him t- to get out there uh, when, they're, when they're starting to trip. You know, crazy enough, 10 years ago, I was a, a night directional hand, and I spent most of my time in the field as a night DD. I was a MWD hand for a little bit, too, but I can remember doing a trip in Alfalfa County, and uh, the daylight DD and I were both hanging out, beautiful night outside, and I just remember being there like, man, it just, uh, we don't need to be here anymore. Like uh, the technology with the internet and everything, you really don't need everyone out there anymore. You can remotely program. You pretty much need some guy to carry a tool over and put it in the hole at this point. So you really, and I hate it because like directional jobs, those were six figure jobs for the, the night MWD hand, right? These are great, 70,000 uh, a year and all these great jobs just going away due to efficiencies in technology. As long as you have really good, fast internet out there, and that's still a pinch point for a lot of uh, remote locations. Mm -hmm. Even, I mean, by all means, I've been out there setting satellites up for guys before, and all it takes is one good guy to uh, get mad and go kick that over. Mm -hmm. Or if you're in the Rockies, a snowstorm. Yeah. Yeah. That was, you know, Summer J was one of the first to pioneer, you know, log net, you know, internet communications to the well. And guaranteed if there's a snowstorm which is all the time in montana yeah. wyoming you know north not dakota about that anymore they're going to put up uh, windmills and uh, solar panels <laughs> up there genius yeah. <laughs> okay, another question for you matt um since when we buy directional services i you know i talk to the different directional companies and providers and I'll i talk say to you off air i say that. i got go, a good deal for you i say go handle that okay mm-hmm. so i'm not picking where their motors come from so <clears throat> who's your your sales contact is it other directional companies or you know does the operator get involved in choosing a motor it's actually both um depending on that's one reason why we liked our little business model is because we could be friends with everyone and we rent to directional companies that there are some out there that uh just have their own in-house mwd systems um and they rent all their motors and so uh, we rent to them there's operators that um they split their services so they'll have maybe company, excuse me, <clears throat> company DDs uh, that are uh, on staff with the operator and they have an MWD system that they use and they like to pick where their motors come from and they can come from motor rental companies or directional companies. Um, so it's it's really a mixed bag. Um, a lot of times it's not uh, necessarily advertised to the customer that our motor is out there drilling on location. It, um, you know, other if you, you just paid attention to the serial number or something, uh, some people that have hired full service directional companies will rent motors and, and not that they're hiding it, but just not necessarily advertise that they're running someone yeah. else's motor. Well, I don't have a clue whose motors are going to be, you know, on our rig, but I think as a, you know, for a small operator and, uh, you know, we don't have a procurement guy, but I'm not sure, you know, even if I was the size of a big public company that we ought to be letting decisions go to a procurement guy. I know I'm upsetting some people that are procurement <laughs> people, are. but hey, the guy who uses the service ought to be the one making it. And mm-hmm. our, our point is, 
you know, if I say, hey, you're going to run this, okay, you're going to run this motor and that motor fails and the directional guys are going, well, you picked that motor. Mm -hmm. So no, I want the guy who's, you know, doing the directional work, one-stop shopping. I've drilled this well mm -hmm. so many times right. with this motor. I know what it's going to do for you, and here we go. Exactly. And just to just exactly. stick up for the procurement guys a little bit, all they do is narrow your list. They're not saying you got you got one choice. I think for a lot of stuff at Chesapeake, yeah. you know, uh, I believe they always had like five or ten choices of vendors they could use. It wasn't you're using right. this vendor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now I've heard of there's companies where you're told mm -hmm. who you're going to who you're going to use, and I know I can. Some of them, you know, being from a wireline background, I understand like there's one public company, they actually contract for their own perforating guns, but they don't have a um, an ATF license to buy mm -hmm. them. So the wireline company has to actually, you know, pay for the bill, pay for them. Mm -hmm. But they negotiated that all of their guns are going to come. They think they're saving money somewhere. What, uh, when you, uh, <laughs> when you were at Schlumberger, I mean, when did you start seeing like, what, what were the motors like back then? I wasn't really, you know, too awful involved in that product line. You know, yeah. then it was it was Anadrill, yeah. and then of course, you know, Anadrill got uh, turned into Schlumberger, you know, directional, and they tried to did try they did try to package Schlumberger did everything. You know, we want to mm -hmm. go out there and you know whether we're doing you can, directional you can much have the logging, fracking, everything else. a Schlumberger rig, yeah, and it works real well overseas mm -hmm. for sure, um, and and maybe in some very large programs, but it didn't tend to work in, in the mid continent. You know, being on the directional side, and then I moved to the rig side for Nomac. It was internal and. It kind of looked like, and the rigs eventually seemed to absorb more and more services, more pipes, and all that that the operators need. Do we move to a time where, like, HMP has motive now? HMP's working to yeah, circle yeah, that and go yeah. back Just to that to, same model. To provide everything, but yeah. would you be willing to turn over the keys and say, I need this hole over there? I think the bigger the company you get, there can be some efficiencies, but by and large, it all costs more. Uh, and, but you're uh, delineating risk too, right? You're pretty much putting it on uh, the rig contractor. So if I was going to go drill a well overseas, mm -hmm. yeah, you're going to, and that's where companies like Schlumberger, Halliburton, H&P, et cetera, have really excelled in this project management. They contract everything. Mm -hmm. And they, if they don't own and provide that service, they've got deals with someone who does. Yeah. I, I just don't know that that would work here in the U.S. And, that, and that's why our costs are so much lower. You know, I know some companies that had gone down to Argentina to the you know, the Vaca Morta play, and their idea, that what they've told me is their thoughts were, it is a great shale play, but we can't get the level of competition to drive the uh, drive up the efficiencies and drive down the costs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, wells there are just so expensive compared to here. Yeah, they don't have any of the infrastructure either, right? They They're flying the into rigs. I drilled a well in Nicaragua that everyone was an oh. expat. They brought in, yeah. so yeah, everyone well, offshore. No, onshore. Onshore. Wow. Yeah, yeah, right off, right offshore. It's tough. Yeah, onshore is tough anywhere up there. It was. It, they told me I was staying at a resort, but their idea of a resort, <laughs> like you still got dirt floors, but you do have a it's a hand air conditioning nice. unit. <laughs> it's a yeah, it's crazy. Everyone had machetes on their their. Since head. we're talking about the crew change, what do you want to see happen for the next generation of oil and gas? Uh, uh, industry, you know, network family members, you know, what do you, what do you, what are you hoping to see the next generation has, uh, for oil and gas? You know, most of the people of my generation have, have already retired now. And, um, you know, I hear, I, I'll hear comments. So, you know, a lot of this next generation isn't as connected, you know, they're, they're not going to the, the events, you know, the, the networking, the industry, you know, they're not as active in say, SPE, ADE, and all that. And that might have been the case for a little bit, but I have to think back to when I was that age. You know, it's tough. You have young kids. Um, you know, it's you, you got a lot of 
family activities that mm-hmm. do take precedent. You know, they, they have to take precedent. But you also have to have your, your company leadership press them and pay for that and help them out. Yes, and that know, was the one thing I'll it. say about Schlumberger. Yeah, mm-hmm. to, to, to kind of you know, follow up on that point, Jeremiah, is that companies like Schlumberger and Halliburton and, and even the, the operators of that vintage, you know, mm-hmm. whether it was, you know, cities and then Oxy, you know, took them over, et cetera, they encouraged their people to join that. Mm-hmm. Um, what we went through here, particularly in Oklahoma City, is there was some very large, you know, independence or public independence that they discouraged their people they didn't want them to publish papers. They didn't. Mm-hmm. They were afraid that there was some competitive advantage or something they were going to give up. So you know, because I was you know on the boards of some different you know organizations, and we just saw that there was almost a discouragement to participate. Mm-hmm. You know, particularly like writing papers, you know, etc. You're, you're published, ideas. yeah. I saw in your bio you're published a few papers. What were yeah. some of those? Yeah, um, one one was. Uh, Oh, based off of my master's work, which is on, you know, rock mechanical properties, mm-hmm. but basically was uh, modeling, doing fracture height models on how fracture height was propagating uh, and off of a lot of tracers and different types of uh, materials, you know, which, you know, you'd have to have vertical wells to do that. But uh, there's certainly right now, when you look at the papers being published, you see um, a lot that comes out of universities, mm-hmm. just don't see as much coming out of industry. Hmm. And when you don't have... Hmm. A combination, you know, generally if you can get um, uh, an operator and a service company working together, you, you see some very practical, uh, useful papers. Right. And, I mean, they, we, my, my son and I have been— Universities, my, more theory, they, pie in the they sky. They tend to be more theoretical. More, and they hey, also, we've yeah, already they also, done this. Yeah. They also tend to be behind times, it seems, in technology. You know, the, 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 the boots on the ground are kind of more there what's happening. But my son and I have been working with, um, you know, down there at OU with their capstone projects that come through the, the Ronnie Irani uh, Center. That's what at you're doing the now? Newborn School, yeah. And so um, we're taking one semester off, but for the last several years, uh, we've worked with them every semester on, on various projects. Um, and I would point out that they're always looking for projects for their, you know, petroleum engineering students. I've been down handle. there. Caitlin, man, that, uh, that little lab is absolutely yes. amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jason does a little bit of mentoring. We've had uh, some of those some of those guys come in. Are here. they always looking for more uh, people from our industry to go down and talk to him, get involved? They are in, in projects, you know, whether yeah. it's evaluation. Uh, we just uh, had him work out a, a project on uh, cryptocurrency mining. Mm-hmm. So, are you doing that yet? Uh, are you ready? We, they just gave us yesterday the final presentation. And, and this group of, they're all uh, junior, senior petroleum engineers. Well, now they're senior petroleum engineering students. They did an outstanding job. Um, I believe David Ferris had been over that group, and I believe Dean Sargent has now taken it over. Uh, but again, they did a fantastic job, and they—I mean—they've ran the economics right down to that, you know, that that Nat's ass. So we're <laughs> we're uh, looking forward to uh, starting. Well, we've got we got a few wells that we think uh, would be ideal scenarios for uh, stranded gas, and they mm-hmm. make oil. So you know, we'd we'd rather do something with this gas and have to, you know, vent or flare it. So while we're on that, uh, what are you going to pay your working? Are you going to send them an AFE to buy all the equipment or how are you planning on doing that? We'll say the equipment for the generators and the servers is a hundred K. Would you send that out to all your working interest partners or are they getting 50 cents an M or what, how are you going to, that was the big risk that we looked at. We were evaluating about a year and a half ago because we have some wells with stranded gas. Yeah. And it's, well, what, what are we responsible to, to our partners in the well? There are so many different models out there. Mm-hmm. People who sell the gas at some below market rate, but yeah. at least there's some money getting. There's um, models that do a, a JV. Mm-hmm. Our idea is that we're going to keep it very much straightforward, above board. We'll propose to the working interest owners to go in on it. And I want to say in this case, you know, around, you know, 
40 MCF of gas, yeah. you're probably looking at about quarter million dollars yep. for the gen, gen no, that's, set. That's and absolutely the, right. Gen set and the, and the minor boxes. That has changed. A year and a half ago, it was 100K. But the those are two-year-old uh, servers. Okay. The minor boxes ha have gotten got really expensive. Now they come back right, down as, as they're getting freed up out of China. Mm -hmm. However, those older minor boxes are not as efficient. Right. So you don't make as much money per month. So we put out a proposal to the working interest owners. But here's the thing. Our thought is we're not going to, some of these guys, you know, they stockpile and they play the, the market on the cryptocurrency. We would sell every month. Our, yeah. our, our idea is, you know, every month on the, I don't know, the, the 30, 30th or whatever that day is, you sell what you've got in your wallet. Mm -hmm. And that's because that's what you're paying your, uh, you know, not only your working interest owners, but you've got to pay the royalty interest owners yeah. and the overriding interest over. Are you going to put um, a minor box out at each well site, or are you going to do it at a gathering facility? Like, uh, I, I want to, I don't know if you know those guys from Exponent and uh, Maurice Fell, but I got to go up there and check out their Bitcoin mine. And they had their 600 wells in Osage County all going to one gathering place. And then they're taking that gas in the generators right there and uh, oh, so they it. pipe the gas all to one place yep. now our scenario is generally uh, stranded gas and it's mostly in the in the metro area here mm -hmm. where our lines have been cut off by development like the turnpike for a, example you going don't through. have a bunch of wells close together to be able to do it we don't know no, generally wells we got it close together we already got gas lines there do you see the, any future in oklahoma like just some people just going out and drilling gas wells just for bitcoin mining I mean, what's the economics seem to be there? Like 15, not at four dollar gas. No, I, I think I would. I mean, but market. it's fifteen dollar gas, pretty close. Whenever you go drill. Well. Yeah, depending on the efficiency of your your yeah. servers, right? Server efficiency mm -hmm. and um, you know, there's. Um, it seems also, like yeah, it opens the, up all of Oklahoma to start immediately drilling for gas, which we love. Well, you know, we're using current prices. Mm -hmm. uh, who knows what cryptocurrency will be? You know, there's guys that are going to tell you, oh, Bitcoin is going to be 150,000 bucks in two years. I mean, it's kind of built years. in where it's always going to go up, though, in price. They're trying to make that. From what I understand from our students, that um, there's like, like I think Ethereum now is going to burn yep. a percentage every month of, of their crypto. So they're trying to put in a, um, what do they call it, a devaluer yep. on there, which will, I mean, uh, well, it, it'll... It is going to try to keep the amount from growing so fast that you value or so that the price will keep going up. You know, at some point, you get high enough in price, anybody can mine it. You know, you can go mm -hmm. plug in a cord into your uh, parents' basement, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, but when, but when you own your own, when you drill your own well and own your own gas, the cost, you know, for uh, doing it just go way down. And then the upside is, you know, you're making a crap ton more money. Think, ROI, maybe. You, you yeah. got to you got to run the power. Yeah. You got to yeah, run the a, power side. That's yeah. you know, it's an equilibrium but, somewhere. It's figuring out. What yeah, it is. I, I don't know that I see. I just, that, think, I I just hope it's a, such a boon for Oklahoma. You know, we we just want to see a sea of rigs out there for myself. I'm just happy mm -hmm. to see. I hate inefficiency. I hate flaring. Right, that is yep. a waste. It's a waste. Of energy. It's inefficient. Yes. Yeah, and like uh, you guys, I'm sure have driven right by Penn Square Mall or by the Ross and all that. That big flare oh, yeah, yeah. and the flower place. The eternal flaring. Yeah, yeah. I've been waiting. I've been there since like what the. 80s that well was drilled. I've, I've really? never not seen it running. I'm and you know the story I heard because I know a geologist is involved in it. And I know the guys that you know bought it a few years ago. Matter of fact, I bid on that well, mm. went for a lot of money. And uh, you know the thing about that was is all came about. My understanding was that there was a uh, a uh, disagreement on right away, and for probably what was not a lot of money at the time, that right away never got. Uh, done to connect up the gas line. Really? So it's just pumping out oil pretty pretty darn good then for the amount uh, yeah, of gas I think, I think that thing was still about a four or five barrel a day well. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love that you, uh, when I ask you what uh, what you hope the next generation does, it's uh, 
enjoy each other's company more and network with each yeah. other. Well, the, the one thing exactly. I want to That's, add to that. And they will. And they will. Yeah. Joe, the one thing you uh, said, you know, the it's being discouraged by the operators and stuff. Is it really being discouraged or do you have the same engineer just doing way more than because there's just less people? So the tasks that are upon them could be a lot more to where they don't have time to concentrate on the paper. Make, well, you do, and Matt could, you know, I think answer this more directly because, you know, you, you worked over there for, like you said, Lynn. I've been in Matt's so office. Forth. He had a lot of time. Yeah. And, uh, but, <laughs> I was like, you let's know, see. We brought, him, we brought him breakfast and hung out, and, the, and, the, and then we uh, went to lunch, mm -hmm. and then maybe some golf afterward, and then on to happy hour. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of I, I know you have, <laughs> I know you have more going it. on, but you've got, you got systems. You know, the guys that were ahead of me always said, oh, you guys have it so easy because you got two-way radios, you know, and things like that, and which they didn't have and then of course now you know then became cell phones and now you know satellite links and computers and seriously you know we had four function calculators that was a big thing so yeah i'm serious because uh, everything was done everything was done off of off of hand calculations mm -hmm. slide rules and yet charts so you know doing calculations cementing logging you know etc you had a chart an algorithm that that you did through a chart now today with computers and the programs it makes it so much faster that the old days when an engineer could only watch 30 wells or 40 and then 60 an engineer could probably watch you know i said we have two of us that basically take care of you know 220 wells but i'm sure there's stuff that slips through the cracks also so, sure. so that's the next here. generation they're just going to be armed with more, but, tools more tools to uh have more knowledge to get this done better matt yeah. did you have enough time to was uh in your experience lynn and roan did they advocate or push for you to go to these events or yeah that, did they pay? i'd say uh yeah it more so at Lynn uh, had, I think a lot of it just comes down to the leadership of the company and yep. what they believe in and think. And, yeah, and the mentality, how long are they going to be around? Are they a two-year flip? Because they're not going to probably want to invest a lot in their people. Sure, and, and, and uh, work for some, uh, there's some great leaders at Lynn that really were proponents of going out to these industry events mm -hmm. and would never hesitate to foot the bill for whatever and encourage us to do so. And one of my early mentors there was, a huge proponent of that so that's kind of how i got started down that path and i still do it today i'm treasurer of aade mm -hmm. um been on the spe board and uh, it's great networking events uh, yeah, I, I think it's great i wish more uh engineers that work for operators were present at those things i understand it, it's a, a time commitment it never seems convenient mm -hmm. um it's also it can be a barrage of yeah. sales people which you know maybe you're not that's why we need more engineers so. <laughs> right yeah so all i'm there to do is help that. and introduce you to each other all i did was learn early on the more engineers i can introduce to each other the better you guys are going to get at your jobs also you'll have friends that will hire you when you let get let go from one company or want yeah. to leave to go start a new company which you might start your own oil company someday. Exactly. Uh, I need uh, you to do that. Really. Yeah. <laughs> or he might want to Maybe buy someday. one. Yeah. Yeah, you'll <laughs> buy one. You might want to buy one. Real reasonable. <laughs> yeah. Not looking f that far into the future at this point. Uh, Matt, but it's time. I no, want you to have uh, babies. I need you. To, <laughs> I need you to have more kids out there. Oh gosh. Uh, Everybody loves you. I mean, there's like one. I think that you have one ex out there in the world that like is like just still heartbroken over you. Maybe yeah. she's not listening to this. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> we could never yeah. figure out who that is. Oh gosh. Uh, yeah. No. I, I don't know. I, th I think it, it's a company specific thing. And, um, there, there certainly is a lot of, I'd say, like you said earlier, a lot of operators don't necessarily want to share their secret sauce or whatever, but I think that's becoming more public, uh, as time goes on. I think people are understanding that it's not as much of a competition between EOG and Devin. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's sure between and for investors in the stock market, maybe it is, but if you communicate with each other, you're ultimately both going to benefit from that. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
uh, you know, I don't know. Um, as far as the other uh, question about what what you'd like to see for future generations, um, I, I'd certainly like to say that I think uh, I hope there's there's more and more emphasis on tech, which is great. I think young engineers can be really powerful with all the tools and data that's being captured out there, but I think there really needs to be a strong emphasis on field experience. Um, I think so much in part of this crew change, there's a ton of knowledge that's going to be lost that's hard to write down. It's 20-year pumper that's been out there and been doing this little thing that's, mm -hmm. you know, saving a few MCF a day or saving you a few dollars a barrel or whatever um, that, that will ultimately get lost. And I hope that the younger engineers will really make it a priority for themselves to get field experience. And also um, get the whole rotation, drilling, yes. completion, production, yeah. facilities, mm -hmm. reservoir. For sure. It's, it's definitely helpful uh, to be well-rounded. Um, so I, I hope there's really an emphasis on that, on that field experience and, and you can utilize your computer from the rig too. Mm. So, you know, well, you ready to shut her down. Matt, or, or Matt, you want to plug tag? Yeah, plug, uh, yeah, yeah plug, plug, plug something. You got any uh, charities near and dear to well, your heart? Well, I'm going to make yeah, two plugs. Sure. I don't Please, do. plugs. Please do. Uh, I'm uh, chair of the board of SOAR. Mm -hmm. Yes. October, so in your, it's October's the oil field show at mm -hmm. the fairgrounds. I'll be there with my little camera and my little microphone interviewing people. You will be there. And I hope everybody's there. And the other uh, plug is going to be I'm on the board of the Petroleum Alliance. Uh, the PAO is a fantastic organization. It represents uh, the little guys. It represents the big guys, the service companies, the vendors. Uh, I think every oil company should be a member, mm -hmm. and every service company and, 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 that's and the, vendor. Petroleum Alliance of Oklahoma. The Petroleum Alliance of Oklahoma. Uh, Brooke Simmons yeah. uh, is, is, is heading it. Um, Brooke's a good dude. Bru a fellow, Bru a fellow just, guy. Bru Halsey just took mm -hmm. over uh, from Dave Lenormand. Mm -hmm. uh, great guys. We, I we think it's got Dave. a great... Uh, direction. Mm -hmm. uh, they've had uh, they've had a fantastic programs, and they've got a whole series of fantastic programs. And um, you know, there I think a lot of the people in the industry don't understand how much they do to act as a as a as a stop for nice some buffer. crazy a buffer for crazy laws mm -hmm. that come down. The pike. Well, we're daily <laughs> day. You know, we're on our daily routine of uh, doing our work, so they're constantly making sure that capital doesn't pass stuff that hurts our industry. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Nationally and locally. Nationally and locally. So, you know, not only a member, but you know, be a member, support the Wildcatters there, because mm -hmm. that goes to getting ed uh, legislators educated mm -hmm. and also uh, to help try to put uh, legislators in place who are pro-industry. Amen to that. And yeah, we get to so. meet them. And as soon as the session starts back up, uh, every Wednesday they have that little happy hour. You can go up and meet all the, you know, your local uh, officials in charge of uh, boats up there. So yeah. it's pretty neat. I love doing that. Good. What about you, Matt? What are you going to plug? Uh, I'd say uh, coming up this fall, that's uh, at a new place this year that's F5. pretty nice. F5. F5. Yeah, F5. Oh, Fin Feather Fur Food Festival. Oh, Joe, that, it yeah. is so much fun. Yeah. It's a really cool event that I'm glad to start doing. I'm talking it. people, awesome. when you look into it, the F5 is hosted by the AADE, and it is uh, every kind of food imaginable. Uh, we've had kangaroo, mm -hmm. we've had beaver, bear chili, bear mm -hmm. chili, uh, we've had bear boudin. Gar, I mean, it's every animal you can think of. Fin, feather, fur. Yeah, it's great. It's a good time. You don't need to be a, a drilling hand just to go there either. It can be. I mean, I made I made uh, venison pierogies last year. Nice. Wow. Where, where and when with is wild this, mushrooms Matt? and uh, cranberry uh, yeah, sauce? Nikolai, right? Yeah. Do, do you have a date and place yet? Or uh, 
Oh, jury spot, is going to no. murder yeah, you. But, no. hey, yeah, so everybody watching this, please go to the local websites, the AADE MidCon, the SPE OKC, and the SP, SPE MidCon, API, IADC. We got SOAR, too. So SOAR. not enough people know about SOAR, by the way. I, I stumbled I, on it somehow. I have pushed them and pushed them. I want them to have, the, because it's under the OERB, mm-hmm. and by all means, I love the OERB, too. I love what they do, the education behind that. But I still think that SOAR should have its own Facebook and LinkedIn and all that as well. Like, hey, look, they're they're together, but they can be the same. Yeah, let me look into that because I thought we had that, <clears throat> and the SOAR email list is like five to six thousand yep. addresses. So I'm surprised that, and <clears throat> I know I get bazillions of them like every week. Mm-hmm. That's good. So uh, I'm going to check into that because yeah, I just want I just want them to. Yeah, I can tell you like when they everything. do the the little things to teach you about the pumps, like uh, Jason and Luke have both given presentations, oh. but it's twenty people in there max, and, and these are great things. Oh yeah, yeah and Soar topic. also paid for a. Uh, in fact, I've been wanting to go in. They have a. Uh, they have like whole courses, and if you see the sore emails, there's courses you could take, and they paid for like a hundred slots. It's online, and one of them's on um, artificial lift and you know ESP pumps. And since really? we run several of them, I want I want to learn a lot more about them. Me too. You know, I so. didn't know those were available. Yeah, I'll be checking that what out. What a great so. look, look at any of those mm-hmm. sore emails and go down, go down to the bottom, and and there's all kinds of other different courses relating to geology and engineering. Yeah, I swapped my email now, you know, so I've got to refactor all that and get get back on all my list yeah, again. Just, Send an email back yeah. over there. Yeah, I know. I need to check it out. Yeah. I'm going to plug uh, the Oilfield tailgates coming up. And uh, so everybody that wants to be a sponsor, every home game in Norman, uh, we host uh, three to 500 people. We just invite all of our friendsters, friends, customers, families uh, to come down to Norman for the home game. Go to Othello's, the backyard and the patio and the parking lot. Uh, we serve free food and music, local live uh, musicians cool. and uh Sometimes an open bar, sometimes just beer. We'll see how much money we raise, but we have a great time. So if you want to be a sponsor, uh, go to oilfieldtailgate.com or reach out to me. Also on oilfieldtailgate.com, there's a uh, little button that says calendar, and I put every single event and meeting in Oklahoma that I can find that is related to oil and gas, so AADESP, so kind of a one-stop shop so you know uh, what's happening each week. And uh, Jerry's IT guy had deleted it a couple weeks ago, and so I'm starting over from scratch. Oh, man. Rough go of it. But, hey, it's all right. It gives me something to do. It's a good product. Yeah. (laughs) So, and then I've got one plug. The API is having its uh, uh, lunch kickoff. They do it every year at September 9th. Mr. Brevetti here will be speaking at it, as well as Tim Haddock. Oh, I'm excited for that. Yeah, yeah. I always appreciate it. Well, he he asked 12 other guys, and... You they were actually, make it. Yeah, they I saw make his, it. I was number I 13. Yeah, I was number not. 13. You're, That's a lucky number. You're number 17. <laughs> we got a, I think we'll have uh, Chad, I can't think of his, uh, from Continental speaking, and yep. then we'll have another gentleman from Devon speaking. So I, Also API Golf Course, and mm-hmm. there's an SBA man. We have so many events right now. There are. Gentlemen, The oil field is back alive again, which is <laughs> yeah. fun, you know. Last year has been, oh. It was a, it was a Please drive. get involved with the local oil field. If you're a, a, a young person out there, we want you in the oil field, and we want you to get involved with all these amazing advocacy groups, and we have a good time, mm-hmm. and uh, we love each other. It's an amazing industry. We're very uh, very fortunate to uh, be able to and support the world with uh, our uh, energy. Mm-hmm. So thank you for what you do, guys. Yeah, thanks, guys, for coming Appreciate on. you both. Thanks for having Joe, us. Joe, Matt, yeah, thanks for having Jeremiah. Us. Mm-hmm. Guys, that's it for the Talking Energy Show. We'll see you next time. Take care. God bless it. Mm-hmm.